Thank you very much. Good morning, Branches. Very good to see you. You know, guys, I just want to say something for a second. I love you. I don't know if I say that enough. I'm just feeling so sentimental. I don't know what's gotten into me. I'm, I'm pretty sappy these last couple weeks. I, I, I don't even think it was triggered by our anniversary. We had our anniversary as a community, I believe it was last week. We launched on a Mother's Day 11 years ago. Uh, so that's kind of significant that it's been 11 years. And, and really, I've just been looking uh, at all the works, all the fruit that has come out of this ministry over the last 11 years. I, I look at so many of the people, the rich, rich relationships that have come out of this last 11 years, um, the growth in people. Uh, you know, for some of you, I can remember before we even launched that you were with us and we were side by side serving. For others of you, you were joining the story six years ago or even a year ago and it feels like you've been here forever. That's the sort of presence that you've had among us. But I'm just so, so deeply grateful to be able to be a pastor in this community and to be consistently delivering God's word and, and serving alongside you. And one thing that was really cool that came to fruition, a dream that we've had from the beginning that really took shape in the last week was Love HB that was hosted by Serve City. Serve City is an organization we created for church collaboration in the city. And Love HB is going to be this once a year massive volunteer day although we're going to have all kinds of opportunities throughout the year. And 130 people got together, I believe it was eight days ago, uh, to serve in these two different locations across the city. 130. And, and the, the bulk, I would say, are my brothers and sisters here at Branches, but it was so neat to meet you know, five people here, six people here, or seven people there from these various churches that we're in relationship with. And, and it was an amazing thing to see the difference that it was already making, the testimonies that were coming back to us from those that work with the city. I mean, it really is serving its purpose. And what is its purpose? Why are we investing in these ministry partnerships? What have we been doing the last 11 years? What's it all for? You know, I really don't believe that it's for this, you know, lower objective of just growing branches. You know, this idea that, hey, we're at about 400 every weekend. You know, this weekend, it's a little sparse in here. We're probably going to be about 350, let's say. It's not about us, you know, as I look 11 years in the future, 20 years in the future. Okay, we're at 400. Let's get to 500. Let's get to 600. Then let's get to 1,000. Then let's get to 2,000. It's like, what is that? I mean, that's so boring, isn't it? Isn't that just a mundane way of thinking about what church is? What we are as a people, I want you guys to know, I spend 0% of my week thinking about those things. I don't wake up in the morning, I don't spend my working hours, I don't spend my prayer time going, how do we get to 600? How do we get from this location to the next location and the next big location? What I pray about, what really gets me excited, is nothing short than the total cultural transformation of this city. The total spiritual transformation of this city. And I believe that happens when we're changing the perceptions of our neighbors. We're changing the perceptions of the average people about what Christianity is, about what the faith is, about who Jesus is. I mean, I want nothing less than every single church in this city to grow, for every church to thrive, because it's going to take every single church 
working together and thriving to see the spiritual transformation of the city. And we're going to need a bunch of new works being done in God's name. That's what gets me excited. What about you guys? Can we get an amen for that or something? Like a hallelujah. Like I just, I know that that's what Serve City is about. And I know that that work is going to be accomplished increasingly in the years to come. So please say yes to those opportunities. Thank you to those who did. And and for those who wanted to be there but couldn't be there because of other commitments that you had going on, I'm just amazed at what God has done. And I, I can't even imagine what's going to happen in the next 11 years. What's going to happen when we're looking back from 22 years, when we're looking back from 33 years in the rear view? Man, I, I'm just, I'm pumped. And I'm pumped because we're in God's Word today. Just like every single week, I'm so passionate that I don't have to sit there, you know, on Monday and go, well, what am I going to talk about this week? You know, and I go, what am I, what am I interested in this week? And, I, and I'm just like shooting from the hip. I, I get to ground myself, as difficult as it can be at times, in God's word. And there's going to be something that's going to be correcting us or encouraging us, reproving us, training us, right? And, and this message is no exception. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 25. And, you know, sometimes, like I I say, you know, medicine doesn't always taste delicious, but it's good for you. So this is a little spiritual medicine today, and it really is the climax of a series of teachings that Jesus has been giving. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, we started this sort of story arc a couple weeks ago. The disciples asked Jesus about this prophecy that Jesus had given them regarding the destruction of the Jewish temple. When was it going to happen? And when was Jesus going to return after his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection to heaven? When was he going to return for a final judgment? So they'd ask that question. And remember, Jesus wasn't answering when so much as he was saying what, what the disciples, what we should be doing in the meantime before he returns again. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, everybody's just living their life. And then they were suddenly swept away in the flood. So it's going to be at his return. Everybody's going to be living their lives. And then it's going to come on suddenly. So he says, we've got to be ready. And he started to define what readiness looks like through a couple different parables. He spoke of a master who left on this long journey and he entrusted his work to his servants. And he says, when that master comes back, he's going to reward the servants who were doing the work they were entrusted with when the master left on that journey. That's him going to heaven. But he says he's going to punish those servants who were idle in the meantime. And what that meant is being ready means being about the master's business until he returns. And then he talked about these foolish and wise young women who were preparing for this nighttime processional, for this wedding feast and party. Well, you know, only five of them were actually preparing. They had gotten their oil lamps ready. So when the call came in the middle of the night while they were sleeping, they went But there were five foolish ones who didn't make the necessary preparations, and so they were left out of the feast. And what we concluded is readiness for us means living with foresight, putting first things first, living with his second coming in view. And then finally last week, Pastor Brock was sharing about the story of a master, again, who left on a long journey. He entrusted his wealth to three different servants, two of the servants took that and reinvested it and brought a return. And one just sat on it. And Brock presented that question to us. What are we doing with the things that God has given us? Are we utilizing those things, our time, our energy, our resources for God's work, or are we simply consuming them? So being ready means reinvesting with what God has placed in our hands. 
These are all messages that explain what it looks like to live ready for Christ's second coming. Now this week, Jesus is going to finish off that set of teachings. He's going to help define, okay, we were told we need to be about the master's work. What's the master's work? And we were told we need to live with foresight and put first things first. What are those first things? We were told we need to reinvest, not just consume. What are we investing in? Jesus is defining all that. Let's read Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus starts this very heavy and serious teaching in verse 31 by setting the scene. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and sits on His glorious throne. He doesn't say when that will occur. Remember, that was the question. He doesn't say when it's going to occur. He said earlier, no one knows. I've been repeating it every single week. No one knows. But He does explain what will occur after that happens. All nations are going to be put before him. That means everyone is going to be before him. I don't know if you've ever been in a large crowd. This is going to be a very large crowd. Uh, you know, I've been to a concert. I've been, uh, you know, to the airport. You know, those are times I've been in a large crowd. I don't know. Maybe you guys have been to like a political rally at Washington, D.C. or something. You know, hundreds of thousands, millions. Of, can you imagine what it is when all nations are gathered before him. There's just this massive group of people. Picture yourself embedded in that crowd. And then it says, there begins to be the separation that's occurring in the crowd. Like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. And in the Middle East, in the ancient world today, uh, sheep and goats, they pasture together. You know, they're not divided from one another. They'll just be mixed in a group. And that's sort of what life is like. Those who are 
going into eternal life, those who are going into eternal punishment, we're all just hanging out together. We're in this world. It's a mixed bag, and we don't know who's going where. You know, it's sort of like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, like in the days of Noah, you know, where everybody's just living their normal lives. But when he returns, you know, two are out in the field, one's left and one is taken. You know, the two are working in the, in the grain mill and one's going to be left and one's going to be taken. And so here there's going to be this separation. Life's mixed, but at this time, you could almost picture it like, you know, two different corrals set up for these different animals, right? And here the sheep are going this way and here the goats are going that way. There's these two groupings of people that are beginning to emerge. And no one at this point knows why, what is going on in this. They just know that they're moving with this crowd or they're moving with that crowd. They're being directed one way or another. But when they get to the right, he actually turns to them and he says in verse 34, come, come near. You who are blessed by my Father, receive your inheritance prepared for you since the creation of the world. Like, this has been the plan from the beginning, what you are about to experience. Come on in. You are blessed. You are happy, right? You're in a good place. What's about to occur? Come share in my kingdom. Come share in this rule and reign. It, 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 literally, it's like, hey, come receive this kingship alongside me. Why? Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I want us to really think about these statements. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Can you put it on the screen, please? So that we can see these statements. Think about it. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, one of the interesting things about this passage is the response of both the righteous and the wicked later on. They're completely unaware. The righteous say, when did we do these things for you? Were you in disguise? You know, did we miss you when you were there? Like, we, we didn't see you all. This was happening. And the king will reply in verse 35, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, I tried to think, are there any relationships in my life where if someone was to serve that individual, it's like serving me? And all I can think about is sort of my closest relations, my wife and my kids and my parents. Like those are the most valued people in my circle. So for the king to say, serving these individuals, the lowly, the least of these, is something that he receives directly. Think about that association, how valued they must be in his eyes. And certainly the reward proves that, as he's telling those who serve them, come in, receive this kingship alongside me and all his happiness and blessedness until the king turns to those on his left the goats and says depart from me it's the opposite of come to me you who are cursed instead of you who are blessed by my father and they're to be cast into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels which is cited in revelation 21 8 now in revelation 21 individuals are cast into the lake of fire the second death 
because of sins of commission, sins that they committed. Whereas here, the judgment is characterized by sins of omission, the things that were left undone, for you gave me nothing. You could summarize the entire thing. You did nothing and you gave me nothing. You gave me nothing to eat, nothing to drink. You did not invite me in. When I was a stranger, you did not clothe me. You did not look after me when I was sick and in prison. And they respond, Lord. And that's what's scary about this. They're realizing what's happening right now. They're realizing they've offended the one who they can sit, see is sitting on a glorious throne. Lord. When did we see you and miss these opportunities to honor you and to serve you? And Jesus replies in verse 45, whatever you didn't do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you didn't do for me. And so those on his left are sent into eternal punishment, while those on his right, the righteous, are brought to eternal life. It's a very weighty and serious passage, and it needs to be. Do you know that none of you would be listening if Jesus was saying, hey, look, guys, you know, if you can find it in your heart, somewhere in your time. I know you have busy lives, but if you could just give a little bit of consideration for those who are suffering, like, just think about it. You know, if, if that was communicated to us, it's like in one ear and out the other. This conveys, and it, you couldn't convey it in more serious terms, this is how important it is. This responsibility that we're, we're called into. So I want to talk about some principles of practical application, putting the pieces together on the other side of hearing a severe message like this. First of all, I want to just note what is so obvious in this passage, that serving those who suffer is serving God. Serving those who suffer is serving God. If you think about this teaching, this passage, it's like one giant spiritual episode of Undercover Boss. Right? I mean, you guys understand the premise of Undercover Boss. The CEO disguises himself as the new hire and is trained by the workers at the lowest level of the organization. And he sees sort of principles and practices of the organization. And the folks that are training them, they are themselves. They have no idea that that's the boss. They have no idea that there's all the hidden cameras. So they just behave as they would behave. And you see if they're cutting corners. You see if they're speaking poorly about management. Or you just see them being a rock star. You see them being the most incredible human beings ever, right? And you know, some get fired and some get you know, brought to another level. They get promoted. But you know, the boss's presence, it's not revealed until the end. The boss's presence all throughout the episode is simply revealing the character of these different individuals as the episode goes on. Again, they're not changed in any way because that boss is there undercover. Like they're either going to perform like they always perform, which is poorly, or they're going to perform great and everyone's going to see it on national TV. Guys, God is present among us too. And he's not sitting on the throne in the CEO seat looking from the top down, missing what's happening on the ground. He's looking at what's happening from the bottom up in society. He sees from the very bottom of what's going on. Remember Jesus said, when you welcome a little child, you welcome me. He's present with the lowly. He's concerned for them. So when it comes to serving God, 
Our nature in serving God is not defined by what we say of those of highest regard in our lives. You know, that's what this world is about. You know, who are you rubbing shoulders with and what do they say of you and what do you say of them and what are those, you know, how can you climb higher and higher and higher? Our nature in serving God, it's not defined by what we say of those of highest regard in society. It's, it's defined in how we treat those of lowest regard. What we do with the people of lowest regard. You know, when I meet people, they usually don't know I'm a pastor. They interact with me for a while, and then inevitably, one of the American questions is, what do you do for work? You know, that's one of the first things you talk about when you meet someone. And I say, I'm a pastor. And a lot of times, that will result in people beginning to repent on the spot for the things that they've said in the conversation up to that point. You know, and one of the things a lot of times, oh, I'm so sorry, I cursed earlier. And I go, yes, my virgin ears. I've, I've been, you know, tainted by your presence. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I love saying, yeah, that's the first time I ever heard that word. I don't know what that is. No, but their demeanor changes when they find out I'm a pastor. And their behavior changes. But are they a different person? You know, and conceivably the wicked, if they knew that it was God that they were neglecting, they would have changed their behavior. But the righteous, they also were ignorant that it was God they were serving. They were just living their righteous life. And so their character was revealed. And they ended up unwittingly serving God himself. Serving those who suffer is serving God. And that's the call of all of us. Serving those who suffer is our personal responsibility. I want you to understand that. I need to understand that. Serving those who suffer is our personal responsibility. It's the call for all of us. Remember, he says, whatever you did, whatever you did for the least of these you did for me, whatever you didn't do. So I hear that whatever I did, whatever I didn't do. That's what you have to hear when you hear Jesus saying that. In the past, I think it was really normal for us to just sort of write a check to a cause and say, well, I can't do it. I don't have the time. So let me support someone who does have the time to do these various things. And certainly we have a responsibility to support all of our ministry partners as they facilitate our engagement in these activities. You understand, this isn't the corporate world. This isn't about delegation, you know, through your check writing. You know, you can't tell your administrator, hey, administrator, will you go handle this for me? You know, someone else. I'm going to get someone else to go do this stuff for me. There's no delegation here. This is our job. This is your job as a Christian. This is my job. You can't say, well, I go to branches and I support branches and I sit near a bunch of people who do these sorts of things, so thereby by association, you know, I've, I've checked the box. No, what you did or what you didn't do. I can't say, well, I'm the pastor and I teach these things, so it's a congregation filled with people who are doing these things. You see how I can go just in this cyclical thing where everybody's expecting that someone else is doing this? and no one's doing it. But it's not about you or me. It's about all of us. This is our job. And I don't want to say it's our job because that dim diminishes it. This isn't our job. This is our calling. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. We meet the needs that present themselves to us. We bring people along and into our lives. And what's amazing about this is it's all so uncomplicated. Serving those who suffer is uncomplicated. 
doesn't take a lot of study. Doesn't take you having a good singing voice and song like in our worship songs, you know? You think, oh, I don't have the talent for that. Me neither, but it, we don't need it, right? It's not study. It's, it's not these talents. It doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take intelligence. It doesn't take intelligence. Think about that. It doesn't take enormous amounts of money. It doesn't take influence. It doesn't take any special abilities, charisma, or charm, or being an extrovert. It doesn't take age or wisdom to do what is being expressed here. Clothe, feed, invite in, visit. I don't see anything you need a master's degree for. I don't see anything in here that you need a special spiritual gifting for. What do these actions require? A willing heart. That's what it requires from someone who wants to serve. It requires someone who wants to live a life of compassion instead of a life filled with consumption. And I suppose it requires one other thing that we have a really hard time giving up. It requires time. We only know one thing about the goats in this passage. We only know them by what they didn't do. I wonder, what did the goats do? What did they do with their time? I mean, you could conceive that they lived wonderful lives. They lived busy and self-satisfying lives. They were, they were wealthy, and they did well in the workplace, and they were spoken well of in the workplace, and you know, they were married and they had kids, and all the kids were involved in all the extracurriculars, and everybody was fit, and everybody was beautiful, and they did well with their finances, you know, and had great retirement, and went on a lot of trips. And, and that was like the criteria of what this life is about by the world's standards, right? But when it came to the next life and its criterion, they were only known for what they didn't do. We got to be careful that the chase and competition for the blessed life, the happy life, according to the standards of Orange County, doesn't ultimately lead to a life that's cursed. See, all that time and all that money and all that fun kept for ourselves, it's like it all rots. We would call that the blessed life. But Jesus says that's cursed because of what you didn't do. But when we take all those resources and we give to the sick, to the stranger, to the prisoner, to the refugee, to the one in need, it's like it grows into this eternal joy. So let's take this seriously. Because serving those who suffer is a test of faith. It's a test of our faith. The context of judgment in Christ in Matthew 25 isn't decided by whether or not one is sinless, but whether or not one is loveless. Isn't that interesting? The context of judgment here in Matthew chapter 25 isn't based on whether or not one is sinless, but whether or not one was loveless. The righteous aren't characterized by their lack of sin, for it's by grace they're saved. I mean... It's only through Jesus' work on the cross that any of us are going to see and know and experience heaven. But that grace, it was manifested in the abundance of their loving compassion. That that was real. Well, for the goats, they were marked by the absence of that loving compassion. You know, this teaching isn't unlike what James says. He says, how can you have faith in Christ and say you don't have any deeds? 
Can that faith save someone? He says in James chapter 2, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. It's like it's pulled right from Matthew chapter 25. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So you and I can debate the importance of obedience and loving action in Jesus' teachings and how that lines up with salvation by grace. And, you know, we can get really theological. Leave it to a theologian to complicate something that Jesus made very simple. Because to me, I want to just read the word and take it at face value what Jesus is saying. And it seems very clear to me. And I don't need and we don't need to justify inaction. The only way any of us is going to experience salvation is through faith in Christ. It's through the grace of Christ won for us on the cross. But without love, our faith isn't real. It's not real. So what do we do? If you say, I've missed some opportunities. We've all missed a lot of opportunities. But when we understand what Jesus is saying, we say, okay, today, I'm going to be aware of more opportunities. I'm going to seize those opportunities put in front of me. You can go to Africa. You don't have to go to Africa. When someone, one of your brothers or sisters loses a job in this community, you respond to it. You do something about it. You know that there's a stranger in your neighborhood. You know that there's somebody who's isolated. You see them. If you don't see them, you will now see them. You know that there's someone that you need to invite in from your office, from your workplace, from school. You know it. You see them. If you haven't seen them, you will see them. They're there. We're embedded all around it. Someone in your life is going to get sick. Are you going to be there? You know, are you going to see on the other side of that sick person Christ himself who you are serving in those moments? Some of these things aren't going to fall in our lap. Maybe. I've had some family members in prison. I don't know if you have. Maybe that'll come to you. Maybe it won't. Maybe you've got to go to it. But when we know that this is the criterion, what Jesus is looking for at this moment, the most key moment in all of our existence, we've got to put first things first. We've got to be ready. Let's reflect on this together in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just believe beginning to end your gospel is about grace and love and mercy. You aren't asking us to do anything physically that you haven't done for us first spiritually. Lord, from a spiritual perspective, we're the hungry, we're the sick, we're the one in need of a drink, we're the one without clothes, we're the one that's in prison, we're the stranger to your kingdom. And Jesus, you went above and beyond. You gave everything imaginable, your very life, that we might experience grace. You've fed us. You've given us drink. You've clothed us. You've invited us in. You treated us not like a stranger, but your children. Lord, you have loved us. 
You have welcomed us into your kingdom. There's a promise that awaits us to be drawn even closer to you, to share in your eternal joy, to share in your eternal kingdom. And the one thing you're looking for in our faith and our trust that's going to be validated in our lives is love. Lord, this is only challenging for us because we know our own weakness. This is only challenging for us because your Holy Spirit hasn't formed in us fully the heart of Christ. What you're calling for here is not a burden. It's the blessed life. It's the life of loving compassion that you express toward us. Lord, instead of us commiserating about the past, we have now. We have the resources of now. Lord, let us not delegate this responsibility out to someone else. Let's not wait until, oh, the kids are older. Oh, I have more time on my hands. Lord, the kids need to see it. The next generation needs to see it as we're inviting others in, as we're expressing the loving compassion that we believe in the gospel message that we're sharing too. So Lord, bring to mind those that from this place we need to go out and minister to. And when we minister to them, when we're serving those who are suffering, we know that, Lord, we're not just serving them. You receive it directly. So Lord, help us to go forth with the heart to serve you 